family of faith, good morning. It is a joy to see you here in worship today. Welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church on this beautiful Sunday. We are glad to be with you. If you are a visitor among us, I want to extend a special word of welcome and say that we're so glad that you found us. We hope that you will linger after the service in the atrium where you can be greeted by members of this community who would love to learn your name and your story. And if you have been worshiping with us for weeks or months or years, then I want to say welcome back. We're glad to see you too. A few notes about this service. If you wouldn't mind grabbing the friendship pad on the inside aisle and passing it down your pew, we do that so that we can learn each other's names for those sitting in the pews around us. So we invite you to sign in, pass it down, and then pass it back so you can learn who's around us. I also invite you to note the prayer and connect cards in your pews. Those are here for your use, and we hope you will use them. The pastors love um, that opportunity to learn the joys and the sorrows that are happening in your life. This week will be a ordinary week at Preston Hollow, which means it will be a beautiful week. Our youth will have musical practice. There will be multiple Bible studies and coffee conversations in the hallways. The choir will rehearse. We will gather over and over again, and we're excited for you to be a part of that. In particular, I want to invite you to join us next Sunday here in this space for Jared Cook, our Organ Scholars performance, which will be at 2. It's going to be an incredible concert, and you won't want to miss it. Friends, in today's service, we are focusing on the theme of grief. That is certainly something that has touched probably everyone in this room in some way or another. C.S. Lewis describes grief as the sky, because when you feel it, it touches everything. So friends, in addition to grief, I hope that you will feel God in this space, for I believe that God is here. So friends, let us worship holy God. Please join me in the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Welcome one another in Jesus' name, for Christ is truly present among us. God walks with us on the journey of life and of faith. Let us worship God. Please
family of faith, there is power in speaking truth out loud. For example, when we name our grief, we're able to share the load. When we name our fears, we're able to keep them at bay. And when we name our sin, we're able to be transformed. So please join me in the prayer of confession. Let us pray. Holy God, hear our prayer. For the mending of our hearts, torn apart by our unkindness. For the healing of our souls, hurting from the despair around us. For the forgiveness we seek, for the sin we have allowed to persist. For the reconciliation of the world, whose division condemns us. We pray for the courage to admit our fault, the strength to amend our actions, and the hope that your grace awaits us. Through Christ Jesus. Family of faith, if grief and sin are the sky, touching everything, then God is the sun, transforming that sky into a kaleidoscope of colors with each new day. So hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. and our minds and our ears to hear scripture read aloud. I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. God, circle back. Circle back to us like the wind. Circle back like a song. Circle back in the silence. God, circle back. Like breath inhaled, like a memory unveiled, like falling in love. God, circle back, like the moon and the sun, like the beat of my heart or the seasons that come. God, circle back, stay a while, open our ears, for we need you the most, so please circle back. Amen. Before I begin this morning, I just want to say it was such a gift to share in preaching this sermon series with uh, our young people of this church who led us in worship last week on the topic of relationships and how to help and receive help. And I was deeply moved and led deeper in faith, not only uh, from their worship leadership, but uh, through their vulnerability. And so I just want to say thank you to them. And it is such a great joy. Sarah R. and our entire youth team, thank you so much. Uh, for that great privilege. Friends, uh, our goal today in this sermon is not for me to solve grief 
or uh, to solve your grief. I think uh, grief is talked about in the world we live in is something that maybe uh, we work our way through and then we are through it. But I think the spiritual path, uh, our faith, offers us a different way um, to travel the journey of grief. So my hope in my goal in this sermon is that we can have a conversation about grief that will lead us in, in a deeper way in our lives, that maybe we will have a different relationship with grief after our sermon, or at least be invited to have a diff uh, different relationship with grief. I want to begin by telling you a story of a friend of mine uh, whose father got diagnosed with cancer many years ago. Uh, they ran tests in his hometown in upstate New York, and uh, he had a type of cancer that was sort of rare, and so they looked for one of the best specialists in the country to seek out treatment, and that specialist was in Atlanta. My friend lived in Atlanta, so she said to her father, why don't you move to Atlanta with me and my husband? You can stay in our house, we'll take you to treatment, uh, so that way you can have the best care in the entire country. Her father agreed, and so he flew from upstate to New York to Atlanta, and he began treatment, and he was in treatment for three months. And at the end of three months, they were doing all sorts of, all sorts of tests and labs, and all of the reports came back that the treatment wasn't really working. And they had a decision to make. And it was a really uh, difficult decision. And I just want to say, I'm projecting onto this story. It would be a difficult decision for me to make. Her father had the difficult decision to make about whether or not to continue with treatment or to go back home and to be surrounded by those that he loved and cared. And so he sat down with his daughter and he said, uh, the treatment's not working and I've made the decision. I want to go back home to upstate New York. And my friend said, dad, I understand. It's going to be hard, but I understand. So she got online that night, and she booked two tickets from Atlanta to upstate New York. And the next day, she flew with her father from Atlanta to upstate New York and got him settled in, surrounded by, by his friends and all of their family there. Her dad died just weeks later. My friend says uh, every time she walks in the B terminal, Terminal B at the Atlanta airport. Every time she walks into that terminal, she remembers that flight. And she said, but Matthew, every time I walk by gate 37, B37, I weep. Because that was the gate that we boarded our plane through. That's grief. Grief is our emotional response to a devastating loss in our lives. Grief is our emotional response to a devastating loss in our life. Loss like uh, losing a parent, or losing a friend, or losing a coworker, or even worse, maybe the worst of all, losing a child, or uh, losing um, our homes. Some of you may live right here in the neighborhood. You know what it's like to lose your house in an instant. Or losing a pet, or losing a job, or uh, losing a relationship. Or losing a relationship as you knew it. Something has changed. Or uh, losing your youth. Right? Can't go back and get it. 
or um, losing your identity. You have retired. Now who am I? Uh, your emotional response to those losses in your life is grief. And let me just say this. What devastates you may not devastate me. And what devastates me may not devastate you. So therefore, grief may be different for all of us. And grief may manifest itself differently in all of us. So grief may manifest itself in me as, I'm going to get this together, work really hard, and move on. Keep it at arm's length. <laughs> Grief may manifest like in my friend, B37, weeping. It may manifest in uh, you by saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to go into a room. I don't want anyone to talk to me. I don't want anyone to knock on the door. And I just sort of feel numb. Like I know that I'm here, but I really can't feel anything. Grief is different for all of us, right? But we all carry grief. All of us have experienced loss. For instance, we lost yesterday. You can't go back and get Saturday today. You can't go back and have the day that you had yesterday. Today is Sunday, and so you have lost Saturday. We've all lost something. The question for us is, how does grief How's grief made manifest in our lives? And the question is, what do we do with it? Because I believe that grief sort of hangs there. Society tells us that we will work through our grief. And I think that's sort of true until there are seasons in our life that remind us of loss. Like, for instance, you've lost, um, maybe you've lost someone really close to you. Maybe uh, your child is going to go to college, <laughs> right? Or maybe you've lost a child and you show up at a baby shower and then you see a balloon just like this and you don't know where it comes from. But the emotion comes bubbling back up. Or maybe there's a, uh, thank you, Mark. There is a reminder on your calendar this week. It's going to be dad's birthday. Or your best friend uh, from college, it was going to be their birthday this week. And you don't know where it came from. But just the reminder of those events in your life transports you back. And you are expressing your emotion of loss. Anyone who knows what it's like to be in grief, and maybe you're there this morning, it feels like when it bubbles up, it's the only thing that you can see. You can't see the world or your life or your relationships any other way. It literally is your lens to the whole world. So what do we do with our grief? How do we live our lives. You know, the world tells us um, that we should treat our grief a lot like this. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember these? Yeah? What is this? Cool. I'm glad we're on the same page. These are making their way back. Do you know how I know that? This is Elliot's Etch-A-Sketch. He got it for Christmas. The world teaches us that this is our life, and then things sort of pop up on it, right? Grief, loss, pain, job transition, you move it from one city to the next, you're sort of homesick, you lose uh, your partner, you lose your spouse, and the world, society tells us, take your three days of bereavement and keep all your grief out of the office, right? The world tells us, um, here, uh, things are going to pop up on your screen in your life, right? Just give it time. Just give it time, and it'll pass. And any of you who have suffered deep grief in your life, you know that's a lie. You know it's a lie. 
Because you have come to learn what a really wise friend of mine told me. Time does not have the power to heal. Time has the power to pass. But time does not have the power to heal. Time doesn't do the work of healing. Society tells us grief comes up on our screen and we should keep it over there. I'm fine. I know I'm a bit of a mess right now, but I promise I'll get it together. I am so sorry for these tears. I don't know where they come from. I seem like all I do these days is cry. We apologize for it. But society has told us, work on it and it'll go away. But we know as people of faith that our grief doesn't go away. Our grief doesn't go away. Because when the pain of this world, the pain of our lives present itself to us, we can't just put away relationships and time and memories and sort of stick them in a closet and open the door on anniversaries once a year and say, now we'll remember. Grief doesn't work like that. So what is our tradition? What is our faith? What does the spiritual path offer us in terms of how to live with our grief? Uh, the book of Ruth is found in the Old Testament, and I think the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Naomi offers us a great path to how not only we can claim our grief, but how we are to live with our grief. Now, this is what I want to say before I read the text uh, this morning. The Hebrew language is always telling us the story before we read the story. The Hebrew language is nuanced. It has depth. It has... Um, it has character to it. And so I'm going to highlight some things as we go and read so that you can hear all the layers of this text. And I'm going to make some claims in the middle of this scripture reading that I think point us in a direction for how we are to live and interact with our grief. So I'm going to read uh, the first 22 verses. I'm going to read chapter 1. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Let me be really clear. Let's remember, Bethlehem is literally, in the Hebrew, uh, the land of bread. So uh, there is no bread in the land of bread. And we should remember that when the judges ruled the land of bread, it was uh, very fragile. Leadership changed every other year, it seemed. There was always one person who was hungry for power, who would do anything in their power to disrupt the system and to take over. It was a very unstable region in the time of the judges in the land of the bread. The land of bread in Bethlehem, everyone is an Israelite. The Israelites know about... Uh, living in an unstable land. They know what it's like to go from famine and to be brought in to a new reality. So he and his wife and two sons left. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion, they were Ephraelites from Bethlehem in Judah. 
Naomi means uh, she was pleasant. His, their son's name, Malon literally is translated as sick. And Killian literally is translated as ailing. So this family from the land of bread has two sick and ailing sons and they have nowhere to go and they decide to go to Moab. Moab is their neighbor and they are the arch enemies of the Israelites. I'll give you one line about the Moabites that should tell you all you need to know. The Moabites practice child sacrifice. This land, these people, this family were desperate enough to leave the land of bread and to go to the land of their arch enemies to seek new life. Listen to what happens next. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons, sick and ailing. Sick and ailing took Moabite wives, wives of the enemy. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. If you move the R in Orpah, you get Oprah. That's exactly what happened in a hospital in Chicago a couple years ago. And you get Ruth, who is a companion. So they took wives. One of them was a companion. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilean also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, the enemy, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. She knows this story. So she set out from the place where she had been living, and she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back. Go back. Each of you go to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them and she wept aloud. I think she wept aloud because she was trying to say, go back, save yourself from the pain in this life that I will have for the rest of my life. This is my lot. This is not to be your lot. You go find a better life for yourself. And they said to her, no, ma'am. No, ma'am, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my wombs that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you. Because the hand of the Lord has turned against me, then they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law to go her own way. But Ruth, the companion, clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law 
has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said this to Naomi. I'm not going to run away from my grief. I'm not going to run away from my pain. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, even if they're my enemies, shall be my people. And your God is going to be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there, there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well. If even death parts from you. So when Naomi saw that Ruth was the companion, was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, back to the land of bread. And when they came to the land of bread, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And no way... And Naomi said, deep in her grief, in her pain, in her loss, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity, calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth, the Moabite, the enemy, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a story. This is a story about someone who loses everything that they've ever known. This is a story about someone who has lost the world as they know it. This is the story about someone who has lost so much that they have to turn to the very last people they would ever want to ask for help from. This is a story about a woman who knows what it's like to have multiple funerals at the same time. This is a story about a woman who is so overwhelmed with her pain and her grief, she frankly just wants to cut bait and run in the opposite direction. This is a story of a person who knows what it's like to lose their beloved, their partner and their spouse. This is a story of someone who knows the deep pain of what it means to lose not just one child, but both children. This is the story of someone who knows what it's like to lose the God they thought they had. This is the story of someone in their deepest pain who believes they have lost the very God they had staked their entire life on. 
This is a story about what we are to do when we find ourselves in those places in our lives. This is a story that offers us a path that we can't arrive at on our own. It's a story that reveals where the divine is to be found in our suffering and in our pain. It's a story about what we are to do with our grief. Ruth lost it all. And can you blame her for wanting to go the opposite direction? To push all of that pain and sorrow and tears into a closet? Can you blame her for saying, God, you have dealt harshly with me? Can you blame her? I can't. I can't blame her at all. I can't blame her one ounce. But we learn from this text that uh, Ruth's pain doesn't stay, Naomi's pain doesn't stay there. Naomi's pain has to go back home. Naomi has to go back home and ask the question, who am I now? Because I'm not the same as I was when I left this place. Naomi says, I lost the world as I knew it. Now I have to figure out who I am as I know it. Not many of us would sign up to go on that journey, right? If I asked you this morning to raise your hand if you want to go on a journey like that, I can't imagine any of us would sign up for it. That doesn't mean that we don't find ourselves there. All of us will find ourselves in Naomi's path at some point in our lives. We will lose someone that we love. We will lose something that we love, something that we have staked our entire life on will change. And we will ask, what am I to do with it now? It's easy as people to want to take the suffering of our lives, to take the pain of our lives, and to keep it at arm's length. But I think, my dear friends, when we keep the suffering and pain of our lives at arm's length, then we are denying ourselves what it means to be fully human. Stephen Colbert sat down with Anderson Cooper uh, many years ago. They sat down for a conversation about what it was like to lose parents as young men. Anderson Cooper, uh, we all know his story. His, he lost his mom at a young age. Stephen Colbert lost his father at a young age. Anderson Cooper said to Stephen Colbert, I've seen uh, where you've given interviews and you've said, uh, while you would have never chosen to lose your father, your pain has been one of your greatest teachers. How can good come from your pain, Stephen? And Stephen said, well, Anderson, I would never have chosen to grow up without a father. I've never chosen what happened to my dad to happen to anybody. But if I deny myself the pain in my life, I am denying what it, myself my full humanity. And he said, let me say it to you this way, Anderson. It is my pain that I carry 
that unites me with other people's pain in the world. Because pain and loss and grief is, it will never spare a single soul. So Anderson, it has taught me about what it means to be a person, to care and to love for the world in a different way. That's how my grief has been my teacher. That's what it means to carry your grief your entire life. It sounds like Stephen Colbert has made friends with his grief rather than pushing it into a closet. And I think we all have, uh, we're all tempted, right, to not make friends with our grief. And then there are moments in our world that sort of illumine this truth for us. Like uh, when someone famous dies. I walked in uh, the back door of our home last Sunday. Sarah's sitting there working on a project. And she said, did you hear? And I said, hear what? She said, Kobe Bryant died. And I said, what do you mean Kobe Bryant died? I, 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 think, I think you misread that. She said, no, really, Kobe Bryant died. I said, but Kobe Bryant was our age. And she said, he was a little older than us. And I said, yeah, but you get the point. Like, <laughs> why? Why? And I felt the emotions of grief well up in us. I had never met Kobe Bryant. I had never talked to Kobe Bryant. We did not text. Why did I feel this? I think it's because we all carry grief that we don't know that we carry all the time. Maybe Kobe Bryant wasn't your person. Maybe Princess Diana was your person. Maybe it was Robin Williams. If my Nana were in the room, I would say, maybe it was Elvis for you, right? There is a reason that we, we make memorials. When someone that has been in our orbit dies, it's why, there, why there's a square in Los Angeles right now that has more flowers in it than they will ever know what to do with. It's why that when we watch the Super Bowl tonight, there will be one of the most stir, stirring tributes to Kobe Bryant you've ever seen. It's why when, in the days after Princess Di died, the queen couldn't believe how many flowers were out in front of the palace. It's when those moments happen, it's like a window is opened and it's like... A little bit of the grief gets let go. So my question for us then is if we are to learn from Naomi and the invitation from Ruth, not to run away from our pain, but to promise ourselves that we will go through our pain. And if we're reminded in the words of Ruth that God is with us in every step of our life and even the deep dark nights of the soul, my question is this, what would change in your life and what would change in our world if we saw our grief is not something to be shaken and erased, but what if we saw our grief as holy? What would change in your life in this world if you saw your grief is not mad, sad, bad? What if you saw it as holy? How might that change the way you see the world? I think it may mean that we will look up at some point in our life 
and see what we couldn't see the entire time. That our grief and our life, our life has grown around our grief. And it's been present with us the whole time, even though we couldn't see it. And I think that we will look up and we will see our grief. And one day we'll be walking down the B terminal and we'll say, there's my friend, grief. It's made manifest in tears. I remember that afternoon, I walked my dad to B-37. It's the last flight we will ever take together. It would have been his birthday next week. Man, he was incredible. I remember all that was good and holy about him. And I still remember the things that he did that really annoyed me a lot, but man, do I miss him. Friends, the spiritual path invites us to make friends with our grief. To recognize that it will hang and be with us for all of our days and that our lives will grow around it. So that when those emotions made manifest come and pour through us, we will recognize the holiness, not only of our lives, but of our loss. I think that's what Naomi invites us to. Will you pray with me? God, you have promised to be with us all of our days. That there is no place in this world, no place in this life, no place in all of creation that will cause us to be separated from you. So help us to trust that even in the dark seasons of our lives. That we may see your divine image made manifest in one another. So that we can shine your light to the whole world. But we pray in your holy name. Amen. Friends, we have heard God's good word read and proclaimed. It is fitting that we respond. I invite you now to stand in body or in spirit as we affirm what it is that we believe using the words found in your bulletin. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. I think we often think that grief exists in regard to death or illness, but it's also that for countless families in the sense that grief takes on a very real shape with young people who find particular challenges. And so in an effort to care for all of God's people, this month's Every Dollar Count offering will go to support the organization I Poor Life Texas. 
This program is focused on serving at-risk and homeless youth in Dallas, specifically through their partnerships with Dallas ISD and the specialized school, the Maya Angelou High School and the JL Patton Academic Center, who meet the needs of pregnant students or parents or students who are behind in their academic credits. With that in mind, let us respond now to God's faithfulness to us as we give a portion of what has been entrusted to us as we receive our morning offering.
Let us pray. Gracious God, for the morning dawn, which promises new life, and for your love, which knows our name, we give you thanks. For a place to belong and for grace that is always bigger than we deserve, we give you thanks. For the sun that rises and for the stars that guide our way, we give you thanks. God, there is so much we have to be thankful for, and so in gratitude we offer these gifts to you. May they be used to create a tomorrow that is more loving than today. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. And it is said that they will come from north and south and east and west and sit at table with our risen Lord. I think it's said that way so that maybe we will get the clue that people from every corner of the globe, from every side of every argument, from every relationship will find their way to this table. For Christ says, I will meet you here just as you are. And this table exists so that we know that we are not alone. That we belong fully, all of us belongs to God. So my dear friends, come. All of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, come. You will not be alone here. Come, all of you who feel like you have more questions than you have faith. This table's big enough for all of that. Come, all of you who haven't been to this table in a really, really, really long time and you're not sure how all this goes, there's actually a chair with your name right on the back of it. Come, all of you who have been to this table more times than you can count, and frankly, you could do the words, there is a deeper path waiting for you. Whatever you do, don't stay there. Come. That's the invitation of our Lord. Friends, let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right, God of all nations, to give you thanks. For we come here to your table today in prayer, aware that grief is like the rain in the sky, it touches everything. And grief feels like a blanket weighing us down, and grief feels like a melody weaving its way into our subconscious, serving as the background track to our days. And so we turn to you. For what else could we do when we live in a world of wildfires and gun violence, of hospital stays and loneliness? We turn to you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn singing.
turn to you, God, because we need you. And today we pray for all of those carrying grief in their pockets. We pray for Bill Coker and Jeff Davis who joined you this week. We pray for their families and their grief. We pray for parents who have lost children and for children who have lost parents. We pray for those who would give anything to be a mother or a father but find themselves stuck in a cycle of miscarriage or infertility. We pray for those who spend more time in the hospital than around dinner tables. And for those who spend more energy cutting coupons and pinching pennies than they do in the company of friends and family. We pray for youth everywhere who remain silent under the burden of depression or anxiety. And we pray for all of those who have been hurt by your church. God, we could go on because grief is everywhere. But so are you. And so in addition to giving you the most broken parts of our heart, we also give you our deepest praise and thanks. Thank you, God, for the memories we have of new love and Sabbath, of new beginnings and crazy dreams. Thank you for the people that show up for us over and over again, crawling into the trenches of our grief, refusing to let us walk alone. Thank you for this church which strives to live out your gospel and for the natural reminder of seasons which teaches us that all things ebb and flow in time. And so with equal parts grief and equal parts gratitude, we give all our prayers to you, those spoken aloud, those written on prayer cards, and those held in our hearts. For great is the mystery of faith. Gracious God, we trust that you hear all our prayers, for we trust that you are with us every step of the journey, just as Ruth walked with Naomi. And so we trust that you're at this table, gathering us up and pulling us together. And so together with that confidence, we pray the words your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power. On the night of his arrest, Jesus was at table with his disciples. And after giving thanks to God for the bread, he took it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, friends, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink all of it, and do so in remembrance of me. For my dear friends, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's saving death 
until he comes again. But he is coming. For Christ is with us now here at table for these. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We'll celebrate communion this morning uh, by remaining seated in our pews. You're invited when the bread is passed to partake of the gluten-free wafer. When the juice is passed, you're invited to hold the cup. We will share it together as a sign of our common unity in Christ. Come, the table is now ready.
friends, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink ye all of it. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we come to this table and we bring our grief and our scars and our wounds and our hurt. And you meet us here and the cup overflows and the bread is more than bread. It's a reminder that we are united and that you too have suffered and that you too have loved. So send us out renewed and with energy to move through our grief and to keep our eyes open for you in the world. Gratefully we pray. Amen. as we go forth from this hour of worship to be the church in the world. May God give us the grace never to sell ourselves short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to recognize that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and far too small for anything but love. So may God take our minds and think through them. May God take our lips and speak through them. And may God take our hearts, each and every one of them, and set them on fire. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and guide us in our many, 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 many different ways this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen.